0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Skift podcast. Skift's weekly conversations on the trend lines shaping global travel.
1: This podcast is sponsored by Mastercard, one of the world's leading technology companies. Mastercard and Skift have recently announced Future Cities, an exploration of how major destinations are preparing for the new age of urban mobility. From connected infrastructure to smart technologies, this upcoming series examines how global cities are creating seamless and personalized experiences for visitors and residents. Learn more about the project at futurecities.skift.com and join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag SkiftFutureCities.
0: I'm Samantha Shankman, and this week I'm joined by Skift co-founder and head of content, Jason Clampett.
1: Hi, Sam.
0: Thanks for coming on today, Jason. Today we'll be talking about food tourism and how culinary centers like Italy and La District in New York City are changing how we think about tourist attractions. Our guests today are Lionel Hayen, founder of innovation agency iCrave, who recently worked on La District and other projects at JFK Airport. We're also joined by Dan Amatuzzi, the general manager at Eataly. Lionel, Dan, thank you so much for being with us today.
2: Thanks for having us. Thank you.
0: Um, Today we are talking about food tourism and these culinary hubs. So I just want to start by asking pretty generally, what's the draw of culinary markets like Eataly or Le District or Chelsea Market for tourists? Why do they stand out and how do they compare to traditional restaurants?
3: Um, I think that when people come to a new city, in New York specifically, you're trying to summarize an experience, right? And a lot of the work that we do is in the, this experience design world. And I think that when you're, you're thinking about moving through a city like New York, you're trying to amalgamate a place that has so many different things happening around you. And we think that cities are about memory, right? And travel is about memory. So if you imagine the places you travel to, there's this kind of history of what you did and a big part of that is what you eat, right? And this idea that you can have a broad spectrum delivered to you in one place and a unique experience where there's people watching, there's an opportunity to see new things and try new things is really one of the fundamental sort of draws, I believe, that people want to come and experience these places
2: i would say that again when you when you travel you're looking for to connect with the place you're in and you have such a short window of time to do that and so i think you're looking for opportunities to to see the most and places like food hubs or you know big food destinations provide that opportunity where you can see a lot you can also fuel up and kind of get ready for whatever the next eight hours brings but you can also say you've seen it, you've been there, you've experienced it, and you can walk away with something unique.
0: Do you imagine when our do when tourists come to these um, restaurants or these these centers, are they kind of tasting a little bit of everything, or are they walking around and then picking? You okay? Know, hey, this is where we're going to go. We'll pick this one spot.
2: It varies. Uh, it depends. I, th- I think when you even though you're looking for, you're not sure what you're looking for when you enter like a big place because there's so much to to find. I think viscerally your mind goes towards, you know, you're attracted to what you're going to eat. And so their mind usually is made up after 20 seconds. Um, It's not so much nibbling and picking. I think at that time they've already made a decision of where they're headed and what they're going to go for.
3: Yeah, people are really drawn to the animation of these places. Like We do a lot of food design and we're always talking about, and especially in New York, I think it's interesting to look at when we translate something that's, in New York and then bring it to somewhere like Vegas or another town, there's always this loss in translation. And a lot of it has to do with, because New York is the way it is, because of the kind of like the pace, the, the, the sort of vitality and the spaces that we have, the condensed kind of room that you have between tables even, right? That you'll, you'll see someone take a project that was born in New York, move it to another city and they'll go, I don't know, I just kind of lost something right and a lot of that has to do with just not understanding that what people want is actually the kind of like sensory overload right they actually want someone bumping into them and moving through and someone walking through with a big tray you know and not making everything perfect seeing the kitchen all these kinds of all these kinds of like sensory the smells right and the sound and the noise right and seeing other people that's really what the experience is about right and i think that in in so many projects that you're starting to see in New York now you're starting to see all that stuff brought
1: to the foreground. I one of the interesting things for me about Italy is that it's one of the few places in New York where you see tourists and locals side by side. You know, Times Square is kind of off limits for normal New Yorkers. Um, that's where you know I think the world's biggest TGI Fridays is in Times Square. But if you go down, you know, a few squares down where Italy is, you've got this mix of locals and tourists almost living in harmony, uh, which is. Very difficult to imagine. You know, when you guys set out to be Italy, did you say, you know, we want a place where all sorts of people are going to mix or was it just we want to be ourselves and we hope that people
2: like it? I think we just wanted to have fun. And the common denominator is good food. And so we thought if we can have fun and have good food, that we'll be successful. And that's brought in tourists and regulars alike. And I think that's kind of what keeps the glue and keeps everything together
1: why do, why do you think food is able to transcend you know visitor versus local where where other things have failed like attractions or you know locals don't care about madame tussauds or a, or a big uh ferris wheel or things like that
2: i think food's open to interpretation you know i mean what you what someone likes someone else won't like but in in a big food setting there's so much to choose from and so it brings a large group of people together and they can pick and decide for themselves. If you go to a Ferris wheel, some people like it, some people don't, and it's pretty much black and white. But when it comes to food, it, it's, it's much more open and much more personal. Yeah,
3: you know, we talk about breaking bread, you know, this notion of like actually sitting down at a table and sharing food with other people. It's a very kind of like almost primordial, like social event, right? We're gonna to get together and we're gonna eat and a lot of our work today speaks about the intersection of the digital and the physical worlds like we spend so much of our time socially alone right like people are they have a thousand friends on facebook and they're doing it at home in their bedroom and this idea that breaking bread brings people back together it's it's to me it's not coincidental that you're seeing so many of these social food venues today starting to blossom all over the place it's like this kind of idea where you can actually go back out meet people see people like and be around friends and find that place to collect like where should we go where should we actually see each other cuz we've solved for our social function digitally right so now we actually want to go and be together and so you have this non-committal way of actually doing it right italy is like this incredible place where you have endless opportunity to choose how you're going to interact with the people around you right and you can come back again and again and again and it can be new to you, right? It doesn't, you know, the experience isn't finite that, yeah, I've done that before. That's where we go for birthdays or, you know, that's where we grab a glass of wine. It's all of the above and you can reinvent it every time you go. And I think that that's a really critical part of what it's done for the city and certainly for the neighborhood, you know. But to to, to your question about the neighborhood and like how do you design for tourists and how do you design for New Yorkers? Where we were in Battery Park City is not really a neighborhood. Like people who live there love it and they'll tell you the schools are good and you're by the water and it's an amazing place to live and it really is kind of beautiful, but it's never really been contextualized into the kind of, um, into the sort of fabric of New York City neighborhoods. So for us, the challenge was. Not to make an Italian, I mean, not to make a French Italy, which a lot of people say, oh, the district, it's French Italy. And we're like, no, that's not, that's not what our project is. What our project was, was how can we create a venue that contextualizes this neighborhood into a real place? It's not right now. It's not a neighborhood. It's people who live in Battery Park and then the financial district kind of thing. So we asked a question if we were able to create a venue that invited the neighborhood in to actually use it. So it felt more kind of um, contextualized into the grid of the city. And by doing so, it would bring New Yorkers into the place. And clearly it would work for the 7,500 people who work in the venue because they're coming down. And all those things that we talked about with like Italy, with, like, how do I make it new again? How do I make people have the sense of choice? You know, can we create this this place that changes from morning to afternoon to night and from day to weekend so it's actually real, right? And we're actually working with curating different kind of performance that might happen in there. But really what we did is we – and I hope it works and we're going to see as, it's, as as it sort of gains its own legs is – does it work for the neighborhood? You know what I mean? And if it works for the neighborhood, we think it'll actually become a place that makes that whole battery park more kind of fabric oriented and make it a district, really.
1: Um, Why do you think that, and I know we've touched on a little bit, but you know, food has become this driving factor of the tourism experience, Um, you know, whereas five years ago, I don't think people were thinking necessarily that food would be a draw. They thought it would be you know let's have a shopping district with all the same you know Chanel Prada <laughs> other shops that we see everywhere else um, and now there's been the shift to let's not even have you know everybody have a cheesecake factory uh, now it's we need to have something that's local something that's unique um, What's been the force behind that in, in your in your opinion?
2: you know I, I think having a having a good meal you know you, you don't really remember remember everything, you know, you remember where you were, you remember who you were with, what you ate, like it's a very vivid memory. And I think food has that ability to kind of create the scene and what happens around the plate, what happens around the table, you know, is is a different experience. But food is kind of that that variable that can always change, but it's kind of like that constant that's always in the equation as well. And I think as food gets more specific and there's more of this focus on where it's from and how it's grown and, and what variety of heirloom it is and all this, I just, you, know, you can drill down, like keep going, just like it's it's very specific food and it connects with some people, other people that are just there, it's like, oh, it tastes really good. Either way though, it's like whether you're that geek or whether you just think it tastes good or maybe you don't even like it, but you're at the table and you're part of that conversation, so you're part of that experience. I think that's how food is starting to bring people together and it's not... It's not just something that they take for granted. I think I think there's an appreciation for it, which is kind of exciting.
3: I'm actually amazed at how much people know about their food, right? Especially here in New York. You know, it's like food is not this. You know, I think people are more concerned about where their food comes from than ever before, right? Where is it grown? You know, what is what's in it? Is it organic? Are there GMOs? Is there you know? I saw this really funny thing where people were talking about um, gluten's. Right, I don't know if it was on Daily on that Daily Show or something, where they're basically saying they're going up to people and they're saying, "Are you eat, are you gluten free bread or whatever?" And people are like, "Yeah," and like, "Do you know what a gluten is?" And everyone's got this like blank stare, right? But everybody's really conscientious about what they're eating and where it comes from and is it healthy? And I think that I'm not exactly sure why that is today, but I think that this notion that the Food Network is the number one network in America and this idea that you can see food from around the world, that food itself has become such an important kind of like medium, if you will, more than ever before. I know certainly in my household, like the pressure on organic and grass-fed and all these kinds of questions become central as people start to look forward. And I think that it's a different perspective about food than we've seen before.
0: Uh, Italy, how has that changed over the years to kind of cater to this, this you know increased interest in food has the product changed has the layout changed uh kind of how how have you seen customers habits change in that time
2: well for one we we offer alcohol so you can shop and while drinking a glass of rose or a cocktail so it kind of changes the game when you're when you're grocery shopping you're a little more creative you're a little more fluid um so that's (laughs) you're willing to spend a little more uh, and you're willing to spend a little more um the, the The products definitely change we we try to stay up with what people think they want and what we what we are proud to offer, but I think the real core strength that we have is that we're gung ho on education so you can come to Italy and not really spend a dime, but you can come away with a lot. You can learn all about the products we have where they're from how they're grown um and why we why we like them and I think that providing that experience with, without requiring someone to do something or sit down in a restaurant, eat, or even buy. They can come in and just buy like a, a, a special kind of soda. And to that, again, they've had that experience, they feel connected to a place, and they feel like they've had something very unique. And I think that's how we've changed and, and pivoted to kind of cater to a, a pretty wide variety of people. You know, we're not for everybody, but we'd like to try to be f- there and available for, the, for a wide group of people on a consistent basis.
1: You know, Lionel, you were... You were the lead designer at the JFK JetBlue project. Um, what role does food play at the airport? And, and is a culinary experience there any less important than one offered in a in a destination?
3: So you know, one of the questions that I I find myself asking is, what if an airport were the destination, as opposed to being like this necessary step to your destination, right? And in a city like New York, at JetBlue, we asked the question. Um, should your airport be commensurate to the city that you live in, right? Should the experience be there? Should you be able to um, have the same kind of food options in an airport that you have in the city that you're going to, right? So in New York, it didn't make sense to us that you were kind of stuck and you had to get fed whatever they were going to give you. Sparrows Sparrows or Nathan's. Um, And the food component... Two things happened when JetBlue happened. Um, This was probably the first airport built in North America of scale after the TSA, right? And JetBlue was the first airline to say, I'm not feeding you, right? They're like, get food before you get on the plane. So it was a completely different kind of situation that you were dealing with. You had now an hour because TSA forced you to be there an hour in advance. And you had an airline that said get food, so the opportunity was there for us to take it and to really push the kind of experience part of it. Create sidewalks, um, deal with people's anxiety by allowing them to order from their gate. You know, deliver on real chefs from New York to be part of that experience, so that people would actually want to go there. And the question was, you know, from a business model, like how to solve for that was: is there a way to pay for all this stuff? And you know, the, the the leap of faith was that if people spent an extra five dollars to actually eat something good that the, the the economics were so good that it made a huge difference. And it actually worked out that there was the biggest spend ever was at JFK and subsequent airports that we've done continued to grow because the food programs are so central. And if you look at what airports had been in traditionally and what they are now in terms of the offerings, you'd be like, if you looked at it on paper, you'd be like, there's no way all these restaurants are going to make money, right? There, there used to be three, now there's like 19. But the truth is that, and I think you alluded to it, where people come... Sometimes they eat. Sometimes they shop. Sometimes they don't do anything. There's a window of time that people have before they get on the plane that might be unlike any other time in the in our busy lives today. Like you have nothing to do. You you have a captured you have a captive audience for once, right? They have they actually have nothing to do. So it's like, what do you want to fill their time with? And people want to eat, and they want to eat good things, and they want to plug in their computer. Right? And that idea of eating something that you chose is a big deal. I think choice has got a big part of it. So it's a big, the same thing in the city. Like, you're like, how many of these can open up? People want choice. They want to have the opportunity to make those choices. And what you're doing is you're extending the sidewalk into these big interior spaces. And in a lot of ways, that's what we were doing at JFK. We're like, let's take the sidewalk of New York and let's put it into an airport.
1: What were some of the lessons that you've had from the airport projects that you guys have done? That have translated over into the district. I'm sure there are things that are massively different.
3: Um, well, technology was a big one. I think. I think you know there was a big push in technology and iPads. I think I'm less bullish on the hardware impact of technology. I'm I'm, I'm much more interested in how technology can make my life easier, but not be so, you know, omnipresent everywhere I go, like this sort of iPad staring at me all the time. Um, I think in New York City does not feel natural, right? And I think that what we want people to do in both places is we want people to get lost, right? We want people to find their way and discover. The sense of constant discovery, right, is a big part of the design work that we do. So aside from just doing the actual physical design, we're really interested in the curatorial aspect of it. How can we curate a timeline of things that will happen through the course of a day seasons and across a year that change it so that it's new again and from a from a food perspective that's sort of brought into the kitchen as well right like curate the food let people know that something new is happening if you're going to bring the kitchen out to the front let people actually see that something new is actually happening and one thing that we learned that's really interesting with the the kitchen to the front is i had the um i had the impression that it would be really cool to see your food being made right And what the truth is, is that having a kitchen where the chefs are seeing people eat the food is really what it's about because you're actually able to see the people enjoy the food. If you're a chef behind a traditional pair of Elias and doors, you know, it's like that movie Ratatouille where the kitchen's all frenzied and you go into the dining room and it's super, super calm. It's like a yin-yang thing. But if you bring the kitchen out into the dining room, those chefs and those people making the food can actually see the expression of the people eating it. And it's a much more kind of connected relationship where they have more vested in making the right food, right? And I think you see that at Lid District. You see that in Italy. You see that kind of relationship and you see the quality of life of the people working there, which changes the whole environment. And people feel that like
1: right away. What's what's been one of the most effective ways, um, uh, Dan, um, for marketing Italy? because you're not you don 't market it like a traditional restaurant you don 't market it like a, an attraction you don 't it 's a grocery store too um, you know how do you how have you gotten the word out over the past five years or so
2: slowly but surely it's it 's more of a loyalty thing. I think people come and they want to tell their friends about it I think that 's how we transcend just the market we we 've kind of delved into again this more of this touristy Place for travelers to come, and so it's 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 the old hitting the pavement kind of word of mouth. You know, our branding's very consistent, our signs are consistent, our messaging is consistent, uh, our social media campaigns are consistent. But yeah, we barely advertise in any magazines or online, and so we kind of go back to the roots of like a a good restaurant. You know, a good restaurant only thrives over the years with word of mouth. If you have like terrible food, but you have like you have great strategy, great PR, great chef. But after like six months, if you don't have good food, it's, you're not going to last. So it's just this old consistent way of being, uh, being consistent, but being true and being honest with yourself. What you need to work on, what you can improve, and ultimately what makes it for a better experience.
1: Now you guys are opening other locations Correct. soon. What what are some of the what are some of the lessons from New York that you know you're taking along? I'm sure there are lots. But what are some of the things that you're kind of leaving behind or, or, or don't matter as much to the new markets?
2: Um, I think we were very specific when we first opened about the food we offer and the restaurants we offer them in. So there's a fish restaurant, there's vegetable restaurant, there's pizza pasta. And so those menus were very singular in what they were offering. And I think we realized we have to bend a little bit Um, because, again, people come in and one person wants vegetables, one person wants fish. And then they're kind of at this conundrum like, well, do I, do I go it alone and do I just take care of myself or do I take them for the team and, and eat a plate of roasted vegetables, which uh, quite frankly, you know, this person may not like vegetables. So I think we're getting the menus to be a little more flexible to kind of cater to that, those decisions that have to be made. Um, we're taking with us the concepts that really work. So a good example would be the Nutella bar. When we first opened New York, we did not have like a Nutella bar and creperie. But when we opened Chicago in 2013, we did have one there and we saw that the concept worked. We brought it to New York temporarily for six months last year. And later this month, we're opening it on a permanent scale. Um, Another great success story is our rotisserie. When we opened in in New York, we didn't think much of it. Thought we'd have some roasted chickens, maybe we'll do some roasted meats and that'll be that. But it's evolved into like one of our best stations, 10 full-time employees, you know all these almost like a cult following of this prime rib sandwich that we have and so you know when we build out new stores we provide more resources for rotisserie now larger space better equipment and uh just better place to operate
3: yeah that rotisserie sandwich is definitely a brand builder (laughs) yeah
2: yeah it's uh it's lethal in in scope to say the least but um
3: yeah it's it's one of those things that we were talking about um earlier you know, when you when you fix it because it's doing so well, do you break it? And you yeah, guys, that'll yeah. be the next lab for you. You know, yeah. it's like there is a weight, and you know what? Part of that weight is part of the experience. We see the Shake Shack, right? Yeah. You're like, I look at that line for the last however many years it's been. I'm like, I cannot believe that people will spend an hour or more to wait for a hamburger. You know, and God bless the hamburger. It might be an amazing hamburger, but the time. Like this value that people have for time in New York to actually see them standing out there waiting, and then you realize you know what this is a lunch hour. It's great you're in the park, you're hanging out, you're talking to somebody in line, and that's what you do. And I think that those kinds of things, those translation things, which you guys are amazing at, you know, ebbing and flowing with what's what you see because you actually have a lab on the ground, will be really interesting. You know, as you as you as you make that more permanent.
1: Do you do you to think that as destinations think about how to develop? attractions for, for, for visitors and even, you know, appeal to locals, um, that they're turning more often to food now is something that is cheaper to do than a, uh, you know, huge attraction. Like if you think about Madison's, Madison Square Park, when you guys came in there, you know, five, six years ago, um, it wasn't a top destination in the city. You know, you had Shake Shack that had been there, came in right around the same time that it started to attract people, but it still wasn't considered a hot destination. And now, you know, if you look at real estate prices, they're insane <laughs> in the in the neighborhood, and it's become a destination without you know this huge influx of development money and things like that. Do you think the destinations are like, hey, you know, maybe it's just cheaper to open to to pull a food truck, pull a few, pull food trucks in a destination, and 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 people will show up.
2: I do. Uh, I think there is more attention to the food, and I think people are spending more on food, and I think I think there's also. We have to thank for, it. I think, somewhat of like a down economy for the last five or six years, too. People were trading down for vacations and other things, but they would trade up for good food. So I think that was kind of an unintended consequence of somewhat of like a down economy for premium food purveyors. Uh, And I think that's... But I think that hit something deep in in a lot of people. And Lionel mentioned earlier, like people want to... They want it to taste good. They want it to be good. And so I think once you pay a little bit more for something that... You know what? It is... exponentially better than something they would have had before and like then they're kind of hooked and then they're then they're okay with spending a little more on food on a regular basis either that we, if, if they're traveling or even if they're locals and I think that's kind of also how we're bridging the gap between catering to these two different segments on a regular basis
3: yeah it's interesting I I've, I'm not sure when you said food as an attraction I never thought of food as an attraction but certainly it's conceived that way from developer point of view um And we're seeing with the airport work that we're doing that there's a flight from brands that are prevalent in places that we see, but there's still a resistance to completely move away from them, right? Like there is a big movement for better food, better quality food, what's in it. And I think that um, you you need to be really mindful. One needs to be really mindful of what they're eating and how much money they're willing to spend for it. And that balance, I think, is still up in the air. I think, it's, I think it'll be interesting to see. It's hard for us here in New York to really get a feel for it. Right? So I think people here are willing to spend whatever in general um, to get quality food. Um, but in terms of like really understanding how food becomes an attraction, is food a replacement for an attraction? I think the jury's still out on that. For me, I'm not sure 100%. I think that the idea that quality food, whatever that means to the region, needs to be there is definitely like check that box. Um, But I'm not sure that people are really ready to say that is the attraction, come for food.
0: What about competition? Uh, Obviously, there's, because there's so much more focus on this, there's more of these more restaurants coming up, more food attractions, let's say, whether it's culinary centers or let's say Madison Square Eats, which is kind of like, you know, they have all the different food stands there. Is Do you think it's going to be harder for companies or kind of these concepts in the future to get awareness or to gain recognition since there's so many of them now? Kind of like did Italy, did you come in the, at the exact right time because it was before the big wave and or is the district, you know, just getting in at the right time, it's going to be harder in the future or is there always more?
3: I think there's always more. I, I, I can't imagine that and me tell me, I can't imagine that people at Italy are like, oh, my God, the district's opening. Everybody, let's call in these, you know, the generals. we got to figure this out. It's like there's so much room. There's so many neighborhoods. You know what I mean? And all you're doing really is you're just kind of bleeding the experience of the sidewalk of New York into these bigger spaces, right? And I think there's a big fear in New York is a sort of mollification of New York, what's happening right now. I mean, there is an enormous... Mall pressure in New York City, unlike we've ever seen before, all of Fulton Street from the East River to the Hudson. You have, you know, the, you have the World Trade Center developments and Fulton Street. Um, but you also, you also have Penn Station, which is being redeveloped. You have Hudson Yards, which is being redeveloped, and these are massive, massive malls. My last time a mall was built was Time Warner, and it, you know, I, I don't know if. I don't know if it means anything to New Yorkers, really. I think people who live up there use it. But in general, there's, an, there, there's a kind of a changing New York City that's happening, right? And you have these giant interior spaces that are going to house these new experiences. And what's the impact that that's going to have on our street life? So I think that something like Eataly or District are still connected to the sidewalk. There's still parts of the sidewalk that you can sort of meander in um, and go back out onto the street. You can filter right through them different different areas right but these other places completely change the context of new york and our attractions right you're like building hudson yards you're like we're building you know there's a neiman marcus going in there and a million other attractions that are pulling people off the street into these interior experiences and i think to me food is a really big part of those that they need to solve for um but to me i i really don't know how that'll work in new york or or what impact it'll have on street life
2: you know, competition is a good thing, so I, I, I don't think there is, there's, there's a, a long way to go before I think there's not enough room of the pie, not enough pie to go around, like there's plenty of room to grow for this concept. And so when someone says Le District is the French Ely, that's a great compliment for us, you know, we're happy to hear, but it, it definitely doesn't, it, it inspires us to work harder and, and, and get smarter and also how to grow our business. Uh, lines are good you know we do have a lot of lines in Italy which is a healthy thing but again if you're not focusing on why there are no lines somewhere else like you're never going to really get better and so I think when, when there's n- new places opening up new concepts coming and they are this kind of central meeting place they're not just like a little small restaurant they are like these you know almost like these town squares where people can kind of go and meet and they can do whatever they want and then they go off in another direction and so like they kind of provide that medium as well and so the more of them uh, you know I, we think the better for now Um, And again, as long as they each, whatever business, if you're a big one or a small one, as long as you just, you have to stay fresh, you have to stay uh, competitive.
3: I think it's a good point about this idea of like the town center or these piazzas. It's not so much the competition's growing, it's that the model's changing. The reason why people go out to eat is changing. You know, we talked a little bit about it. We speak a lot about it in the studio about the impact of the, our digital world and our physical world and how people use the city and how people use the sidewalk. All these things we've been talking about are the models changing. And Italy is a great example. I think the district serves a purpose to contextualize a part of a city. And you're going to start to see more and more of these things where the question will be what's the future of a grocery store, right? Or what's the future of the local bodega? You know, and how do those things really survive in a world where there's a better way to do that stuff? There's a, there's a more interesting and compelling way to use a time that otherwise would have just been a chore has now become an experience, a positive experience, right? So it's going to impact different parts of um, of our retail world because those things will have to transform, I think.
1: So the, you know, some of the bigger successes of, of New York, um, New York both, Tourism and for locals in the past few years have been Italy and something like the High Line, where it's very distinctly local. It's, it's very, you know, it's not a bunch of chains that have come in. You mentioned the, the, the mollification of New York. Um, do you think that, that the, the success of Italy and, and the High Line um, spells potential doom uh, for these big new developments that are focused on, you know, chain shops and things like that? And that the people have already spoken and said we want something different.
3: Um, no, I think they are. I think that those developers are smart enough to leverage those experiences into these new malls. Like Hudson Yards takes the it takes the High line right into Hudson Yards, um, and I think I think that the 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 smart people at Vornado. We'll find a way to do the same. I know they're talking about some very, very big food experiences with some very big names, right? And trying all sorts of different things, and you know, really interesting stuff that I wouldn't have thought about. That aren't you know brand name chefs, but other curatorial voices that people trust and saying, "Hey, this is what this thing might look like." And so they're seeing what's happening, and they're saying, "We're going to make a big mall." Because we have the kind of density, we have the traffic, we want to put it inside because even though people say they don't like malls, they like to stay dry and they like to stay warm, right? So they're actually thinking about it experientially and trying to solve for all the things that people don't want in what we know a mall to be, right? So they're, they're transitioning because of what they're seeing people are attracted to.
0: And just looking ahead, I mean, we're talking uh, about future trends right now, but is there any other kind of trends or um, concepts that you think are going to become more popular in the future? Just, you know, if you had to create your next project or create a new project in this space, what would it be? I
2: don't know. I think think we've talked about this renewed interest in food and what people are eating and you're living in a city, you don't have access to a garden, but you know, you're somewhat curious. And I think somehow if there's a way to extend that experience and get people more involved in actual farming and I don't know, some kind of sharing program or um, taking it one step farther in that sense, rather than just bringing them the best food that they've ever had and making it accessible and easy to understand, like giving them a chance if they want to go that distance and actually get involved in growing it themselves somehow. Um, that's kind of how, it, that's something I would flesh out more. And it extends into wine too, or something i don 't know it's like people love eating and drinking now let 's get them to actually make it themselves and
1: stomp your own grapes,
2: yeah, like you know a job well done is is the job you 've done yourself in that sense, like a little more satisfaction of, of not be i think in cities we get so numb to the fact that everything's here for us, um, but it's not always the case everywhere and so I think should should we ever have to grow our own food someday let's let's try to give ourselves a chance rather than. Figuring it out when the time comes and being kind of up the creek without anything, but nothing exactly. You know, there's um, these are
3: really experience environments, right? And that's what everybody, whether they know it or not, they're really touching on. And these things that are perking everyone's interest is like, oh wow, like we're designing this new experience. Hey, you have to go to Italy, it's a whole new experience, right? And I think that. Um, the future for us in the studio and understanding food and experience is understanding how people use the time that they have and how much more time might we have because of the digital world we live in. So we're kind of like taking food and sort of branching out and going, well, food's one part of that experience. I've, left, I've, I've closed my laptop. I've stepped outside of my apartment um, in the public domain. What am I going to do with my time, right? And one of the big questions is shopping, right? A lot of people are shopping online. And a lot of the institutions that we're seeing that have been on the streetscape in New York are starting to close down. They're starting to fall, right? Because And that's, an in, that's indicative of what will come tomorrow. And for us, it's like people, don't, people do want to shop online, but they still want to touch and feel things. So is there a medium between buying something and experiencing something? And as we said earlier, breaking bread is kind of a really good platform for people to engage socially. So now that I've got people at a table, what other things might they want to engage in that isn't necessarily shopping per se, but is something social and, and experiential? So it's kind of like where, where does retail and food and experience kind of intersect into a new typology?
0: Well, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, we're, We're really happy to have you here and to have this great discussion.
2: Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you very much.